I'm Tom Kennedy and welcome to Uncensored Stories. Uh, we're joined by Atar once again to talk about Lebanese politics. Thanks for joining us, mates. Thank you for inviting me. So first things first, how do you feel? You've just had the uh, coronavirus vaccine for yeah. the second time, the second jab. Uh, can you feel any microchips in your blood? Talk us through it. Uh, well, yeah, I got uh, the second shot uh, uh, two days ago. I actually felt uh, uh, kind of uh, fuzzy. Um, you you feel kind of a headache and uh, um, kind of weak because your immune system has to get uh, um, to know the um, you know the the structure of the of the virus. I mean, uh, not it's not that virus, the antigens. Um, but uh, now I'm feeling much better. It takes. 48 hours for, for you to, to get used to it. But now uh, I feel great. Nice. Did you feel sick from it at all? Or? Yeah, a bit. Like uh, you, you feel kind, kind of weak, um, kind of lightheaded and uh, you get headaches, but uh, but now it's fine. Okay. And you're in uh, Jerusalem at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Jerusalem. That's correct. So, is everyone vaccinated essentially? Uh, no, right now, actually, there's a slowing of, uh, of people getting vaccinated. It's about uh, 30% of the, sorry, 38% uh, of the population. Uh, now, uh, they're trying to fight like the anti-vaxxers here because uh, people, uh, okay. you, you need to get to a certain mass of people vaccinated in order to, you know, to eradicate the disease. Of course. But so for you to be vaccinated, though, that must mean that nearly everyone who wants to be vaccinated has had the opportunity to do so. I mean, you're, you wouldn't be a high risk, maybe, I don't know, maybe you are. But. No, 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 I'm not a high risk. Uh, like now it's, uh, if, if whoever wants to go, you know, you can go, uh, even if you're a pregnant woman or I don't know, um, a kid under 16, uh, you, can, you can get vaccinated, it's not a problem. Okay, let's get to it. So Lebanese politics, Lebanese politics has always been a controversial one. Um, I think it'd be great if we can start with with a bit of history. Uh, so to do that, uh, why don't you talk us through the historic uh, friends and foes of Lebanon? Uh, so their allies and and their um, and their enemies. So I think I think in order to understand Lebanon, you have to understand um, the background of how the country was formed. Um, so back um, after the First World War. Uh, the area of, uh, of the Middle East it was controlled. It was controlled by the Ottoman Empire, like the, the Turks. And back then, uh, the winners of, of the First World War uh, that got the area were Britain and France. And they divided up the land. There were two uh, diplomats that uh, decided how to divide the land. Uh, they were called Sykes and Picot, and they signed an agreement that was called uh, Sykes-Picot Agreement, which basically divided up the Middle East between uh, uh, France and, uh, and, the, and Britain, uh, and they drew up the lines. But when they drew up the lines, you know, to divide the, the area between them, uh, they didn't really pay much attention to, um, to the groups that were living in the area, to the ethnicities. So it was kind of random. You see, you see like, if you look at the map, the lines are very, very straight because um, it's not, you know, based on ethnic makeup. Um, so you had the mandate, uh, the French mandate and the uh, British mandate over the areas, uh, over what uh, became uh, the countries we know as today. For example, Israel was under the British mandate. Uh, so specifically Lebanon was under the French mandate. Uh, 
Lebanon got its independence from uh, France um, on November 22nd, 1943. Uh, but Lebanon is made up of many, many different ethnicities and uh, it's very um, fragmented. Uh, you've got uh, uh, four uh, uh, major uh, ethnicities or groups. You've got the Sunni Muslims, the Shia Muslims, the Druze, and the Christians, the Maronite Christians. And uh, the thing is, it's divided up. Um, I mean, there's not one majority of people. It's it's divided up um, uh, pretty evenly. Uh, so there have been many tensions within itself. Um, so the problem with Lebanon is is it's it's not unified uh, i mean they had a civil war and obviously we can talk about it um yeah we'll get more into the, that that divide between those um those three those three different types of religions right christianity sunni and shia is that yes. right yes that's correct um but i want to talk first of all about sort of like foreign uh foreign policy not so much foreign policy but foreign relations uh, especially within the region um for lebanon so following world war one uh, and we'll get to contemporary uh, politics later, but how has Lebanon been perceived in the Middle East? So um, the thing is, because it's it's got so many different groups, um, it's not exactly, you know, you, you don't really look at the country as a whole, you look at the different groups. So even in, let's say, uh, the war, we can talk about it more if you like, uh, um, the, the, the war that Israel uh, took part in uh, in 1982, uh, it supported some factions in in uh, Lebanon, and you had other uh, major players uh, supporting other factions, like you had Iran um, supporting um, the Shias, and you had uh, the Syrians. So it's all you know one mess. So, so it's not exactly um, countries looking looking at Lebanon as 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 one one country. And, and in fact, um, Lebanon, I think it's it's one of uh, the sadder stories of the Middle East. It, it's not really a functioning country with uh, you know with sovereignty, the government controlling everything. So you've yeah. got you've got, uh, uh, for example, you've got Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization, but they've also got seats in the parliament, and they've got a military that's even stronger than the Lebanese military. So you know it's not so it's like a country within a country. So it's, mm. it's so it's very difficult to answer the question of, of, of Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. So it seems very, very divided. Um, and I guess you wouldn't call it a nation state. Um, one thing that I wanted, wanted to talk about is uh, Arab socialism and Arab communism. So there was an Arab socialist party, uh, which was prevalent in, um, in Lebanon, I think in the 80s, I'm not sure when. Um, but has has socialism and communism within the Middle East attracted uh, foreign interests, uh, maybe from the Soviets in the 20th century, um, but any foreign intervention other than in Afghanistan? Um, so uh, I think Gaddafi at one stage was um, very uh, he was promoting this Arab socialism. Um, did that happen in Lebanon? Well, um, Lebanon. Uh, did take part in uh, the pan-Arabist movement. I mean, you had um, uh, the Ba'ath Party, but mostly uh, the Ba'ath Party was like a party that had its own different branches in, in different countries, mostly in uh, in Iraq, uh, where Saddam Hussein came from, and in Syria. 
uh, it did not really take hold in uh, in Lebanon, but uh, you did have uh, pan-Arabist uh, aspirations, uh, which were also um, shared by some groups in Lebanon. Uh, it was not uh, the main uh, driving political force. It was mainly um, um, the driving force behind um, um, Nasser. Nasser was the uh, president of, of Egypt in the 1960s. Um, so, 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 so you did have uh, a lot of intervention from uh, um, the major foreign powers during the Cold War. Um, uh, but I, I think Lebanon is, is not the greatest example of a country that was very involved in the power struggles between uh, the Soviet Union and the United States. You had uh, much uh, better examples of uh, countries that were more aligned with uh, the states and others that were more aligned with the Soviet Union. Um, yeah. uh, so in Lebanon, it, it really does depend on, 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 the, on the faction within Lebanon. It's, it's, it's a really broken up country. So it's like talking okay. about Iraq. You know, Iraq has so many different factions. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's talk about this internal conflict then. Um, can, you, can you briefly go over the, the three different uh, major factions, so Christianity, Sunni, and Shia uh, Islam? Yeah, uh, and, and the differences between those. Okay, so so uh, Sunni Islam is uh, is very shortly the most uh, prominent branch of Islam. Uh, that's uh, like the typical uh, Muslims, uh, and you've got the Shia Muslims, which uh, they have theological differences um, uh, about maybe the, the, about the the uh, someone about Ali, which was uh, the nephew of uh, Muhammad. Uh, the prophet, if he's supposed to be his rightful successor or not. Uh, the theological differences are not as important, but what, what's important to know is that uh, there are different groups. Uh, it's, it's the, there are different uh, um, religious beliefs uh, constitute uh, a battle in the Middle East. It's almost a Cold War. So you have Iran, which is the prominent uh, Shia a Muslim country, and you've got Saudi Arabia, which is the prominent Sunni Muslim country, and uh, there is a, a Cold War happening in the Middle East. Um, now, in, in in Lebanon, about 55% of the population is Maronite Muslim, uh, Maronite Christian, um, and when the country was formed, they decided that they are going to delegate different um, offices in 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 the government to different factions. So. You've got the president who's a Maronite Christian, the speaker of the house who's Shia Muslim, and the prime minister who's uh, um, Sunni. Um, but in order to understand Lebanon, you have to understand also the, the bigger picture of, uh, of the Palestinians and, and Israel, because Palestinians also took a very prominent role in the uh, Lebanese uh, civil war, which, uh, which broke out in uh, 1975 and lasted 15 years until 1990. Um, and, and the different factions within uh, um, uh, the, the uh, Christian community and uh, uh, the, the, the Shia Muslims and uh, who backed each militia, because uh, this is important to understand. So, so, so it's a very, you know, the... the and so coming back to that, the civil war, uh, who, who was fighting, who were the main parties in that civil war? So in the, in the civil war, uh, I could give you more background about it uh, if, if you're more interested. Yeah, sure. But the, the civil war, uh, it started uh, actually with the Palestinians. The Palestinians, um, uh, PLO, which was like the um, organization uh, 
fought Israel. Uh, it was led by Yasser Arafat, and they led a lot of uh, terrorist operations against Israel and against other countries. Um, so they were based in Jordan in the 1970s, uh, and then they gained a lot of strength, and they tried to overthrow uh, the, uh, the kingdom. Uh, they tried to overthrow the king. Uh, they actually assassinated the prime minister. So they, they, they had events called uh, Black September events in 1970, and then they were kicked out of Jordan, and they decided to move, to, to, to move their uh, bases to, to Lebanon. Uh, it was uh, an agreement that was uh, was signed in um, in Cairo. It's called the Cairo Agreement, and then they moved to um, to southern Lebanon. Um, and what what happened is that the a lot of the Palestinian uh, terrorists uh, started carrying out operations from southern Lebanon to uh, towards the uh, towards Israel. Uh, so you had a lot of massacres. Uh, you had uh, massacres when uh, you had terrorists coming. Uh, uh, on school buses with kids and, and you know shooting down the, the entire bus. Uh, there was a very prominent um, incident, it's called the Bass Massacre uh, in 1978, uh, where terrorists came with uh, boats to Tel Aviv and um, shot down uh, an entire bus. I think uh, 35 people were killed, 71 were injured. Um, and then Israel also got involved in Lebanon because of these reasons. But the Palestinians, uh, what, what actually started the civil war uh, was uh, when uh, the Maronite Christians, they opened um, uh, a church and Palestinians um, got into a fight with them. So the Palestinians killed four, uh, four people of uh, the Maronite Christians, of the, they had a party, it was called the Falang Party. Uh, and in retaliation- uh, the Falang Party. It's uh, it's yeah. in Lebanon. A lot of the parties have their own militias. So um, after the, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm you know uh, I'm throwing a lot of information. Uh, okay. so, so anyways, uh, the, the war started when um, uh, after they killed the four people, uh, like the four Christians, uh, the Christian uh, the Christians wanted to retaliate. And then they decided to shoot down a bus, like they killed 30 Palestinians. You know, they they like made checkpoints and saw by their ID if they were Palestinians. If they were Palestinians, they killed them. The Palestinians did the same thing, uh, and that's actually what started the war in uh, 1975. And you had uh, horrific killings. You had massacres of entire villages, uh, uh, getting um, getting torn down, burned down. Uh, hundreds of people get getting killed, and it was one of uh, in my opinion, the worst uh, massacres in, in, in the region. Uh, so, so it was kind of, it, it was sectarian violence uh, that, you know, is, is, is still, um, still is still present today. Uh, obviously there's no civil war, but there is a lot of tensions to, to this day. What was the difference between the Shia Muslims and the Sunni Muslims role uh, in the civil war? So um, the Shias, uh, during the civil war, uh, they formed their own, uh, uh, their own, uh, group, uh, which was called Hezbollah, uh, which, as I said, it's a terrorist organization, but it's more than that because it's a terrorist organization with very, very large infrastructure. So they've got seats in the parliament and their terrorist organization in, 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 in the eighties, it was, you know, very disorganized, but today it's, it's more of an army. It's, uh, they get weapons from Iran. Iran is like their, um, um, they're kind of a proxy of Iran because Iran is the one that's controlling 
uh, most of their, their funding, they get like their official budget is $800 million, but the rest of it they make uh, through actually selling the drugs. Um, they grow uh, 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 marijuana and heroin. Uh, yeah, either, either uh, opioids. Uh, and the thing is, uh, Hezbollah, um, it's, it's, it's almost its own country because they've got their own banks, they've got uh, their own uh, welfare system, uh, they've got their own um, shops to, to sell food, their own supermarkets, um, um, and they serve the Shia population. Um, so not, not all Shias obviously support Hezbollah, but Hezbollah was, um, was kind of the, um, the, the place where, where Shias felt um, uh, that they were oppressed by the rest of the factions, that's where they could join. And you know, th that's how they got very, very powerful. And um, to this day, they're a very serious threat uh, to, uh, for, for Israel and for the rest of Lebanon. Uh, even when Israel went to war with Lebanon, it's never against Lebanon itself. It was against Hezbollah. So th 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 that's the interesting part where, um, you know, you could like go to war with one part of the country, but you could have allies uh, within the country. Actually, Israel had two wars with Lebanon. So in the first war, uh, Israel helped form uh, uh, the Southern Lebanese army, which was an army by uh, Maronite Christians. They're Israel allies, Israel's allies. So, so you can understand that because the country is, is quite honestly the opposite of a nation state, um, yeah. it's itself in, in war. So it's, um, it's very complicated. And you've, you've got so many different players uh, joining in. You had Israel and you had also Syria in the first uh, civil war and Iran to this day. Um, I, I, okay, I got off track. <laughs> what was no, no, the question? No, this, this is good, man. And, and this, is exact, this is why I'm asking about um, foreign intervention and um, like relations within the Middle East or within the international community, because it, it really is, as you said, the opposite of a nation state. It seems it's so divided. It seems like uh, it's not only so much tension within the country, but it also appears to be a country which is vulnerable to uh, manipulation via another force. So another another uh, foreign interest might be able to take advantage of one of the factions, which feels like they're being oppressed, uh, to fund that faction in you know some sort of independence or civil war movement. Um, so that's why I was asking about, about foreign intervention and like you, you're talking about Iran. Um, and yeah, so I guess we'll get, we'll get, we'll get, uh, further into that, uh, in the contemporary, every, the, uh, modern day sense later on, um, during the episode. Um, I want to talk about confessionalism, which is a new word, a new definition for me. Um, and this seems to be, uh, quite common, I guess, um, if not in all Middle Eastern uh, version, versions of politics, what is confessionalism and, and how does it work? Well, to be honest, I'm not familiar with it. I just know it's uh, the system where uh, you mix politics and, and religion. Um, but, uh, I, I guess um, in, in the context of Lebanon, it's, it's the way that uh, the government is uh, delegated to different factions um so as i said the speaker of the house is shia and the president is uh, is christian for example but uh i don't want to talk too much about something that uh i'm not too uh acquainted acquainted that's with. okay so how if there's if there's 
three major religions uh, within the country. How do you divide when, when you're legislating? How do you account? How do you take into account? Like it's the opposite of like secularism, right? Um, like the, the confessionalism, it, it seems, is like incorporating religion with the state rather than the opposite. So how do you do that if you have three contradicting uh, religions? Like well, how, how are they supposed to legislate for a completely divided country in terms of their religious beliefs if religion is t being taken into consideration and is actually a major part of their policy writing? Well, that's one of the reasons why the parliament in Lebanon is, is actually quite weak and it's not really um, you know, a functioning country. The, re the reason that they delegated uh, different roles in the government to different uh, factions is uh, to preserve um, as much as possible uh, any form of stability, because otherwise uh, one group is going to feel oppressed and, mm. and you're going to have chaos. Uh, yeah. I mean, I after the Lebanese uh, civil war uh, ended, uh, they signed an agreement, it was called the Taif Agreement, which um, um, kind of strengthened the system. Um, but um, th the problem is is that because each group is kind of functioning on its own, uh, the major uh, um, branch of the state, the legislature, is not really functioning um, as, as, as something that is uh, taking place uh, uh, for all of the Lebanese people. Um, mm. uh, as, as I said, I mean, uh, Hezbollah, for example, has their own banks. So now the country... Uh, it has a very, very difficult economic situation and Hezbollah uh, manages to kind of take care of its own people and, you know, uh, bring in food, uh, uh, smuggled food from Syria or from Iran that others don't get. So it's it's all very sectarian. Uh, so it's very mm -hmm. difficult to run a country like this, at least mm -hmm. in the traditional sense of a country that we're accustomed to. Yeah. And how is that division of power? Uh, divided. So, is the like I think the the president uh, is Sunni. I'm not sure. How do they divide that that balance of power between the Shias, Sunni, and Christians? Oh, it, it, it's it's in the constitution. I mean, the, um, the 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 way that it's delegated, it's uh, the, the president has to be a Christian. I mean, he cannot be not a non-Christian. He has to be from the Maronite Christians, and the prime minister has to be a Sunni Muslim. Um, okay. And and actually, the, the sad thing about Lebanon is that their politics is so violent. Um, I mean, their national politics that, um, for example, in 2005, the elected uh, prime minister, um, Rafik Hariri, he was assassinated. And this led to another divide. He was assassinate, assassinated, but by, by who? But, but the Syrians, at least that's what it is believed to, uh, to, to be by. Uh, the Syrians have uh, a stronghold in, uh, in, in Lebanon to this day. And this actually divided the politics in Lebanon into two factions, the uh, March 14th Alliance, which is an alliance of parties that are opposed to the uh, Syrian influence in Lebanon. Uh, and then you've got the uh, uh, March 8th Alliance, which is uh, the alliance that is uh, supporting um, um, the, the Syrian regime and the Syrian involvement in, in Lebanon. Um, and uh, there were a lot of assassinations uh, during uh, 
during their history. Um, in, in 1982, uh, Bashir Jumayel, he was a Christian. He was elected as uh, the president. It was before uh, the, the system that I described. Um, and a month in, uh, he, he was very favorable towards Israel because the Christians were aligned with Israel. Um, and he was assassinated a month after he was elected. Uh, and the Jumail family, uh, which is uh, the prominent uh, family in the uh, uh, Christian uh, community, uh, they had a lot of their uh, family members in politics and they were assassinated. They're kind of like the Lebanese Kennedys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you had um, Amin Jamal, uh, Bashir's brother, he became president as well. And his son also got assassinated, Pierre Jamal. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's very sad that, uh, you know, the entire country uh, works uh, to change its, its leaders by assassinations. But uh, that's the way uh, the country is run. And so you're talking about before this prescribed in the constitution that the, the prime minister must be Sunni uh, and the president must be Christian, for example, right? Is that consistently? So the president always has to be Christian, for example. Yeah, yeah. So what, what are the different roles uh, in power between the president and the prime minister? Um, well, to, to be honest, uh, from my understanding, the, the powerful person is the prime minister. Uh, the president has some powers, but it's more of a ceremonial. Um, the prime minister is the main uh, character uh, in, uh, in, in, in the decision making. Uh, right now, the, the, the prime minister, uh, his name is Saeed Khariri. He's actually the son of the guy that uh, was assassinated in 2005, Rafik Khariri. Um, there was the entire saga, by the way, uh, just interesting. He was uh, uh, supposedly kidnapped in Saudi Arabia. Like he moved to talk to the king, and he they just uh, kind of trapped him there. Uh, and then he returned to Lebanon after a few days when they let him go, and uh, he resigned. And then he came back. So there's an entire saga of um, people claiming that the Saudis uh, pressured him. So it's, it shows you, by the way, the. Uh, significance of uh, the foreign relations uh, and the foreign intervention by other players in the Middle East and kind of the lack of, of, of sovereignty uh, of the political system. Um, mm. So, so it, it, even though I, you know, you have the power by, by law, who is the, uh, you know, leader, it, it's, it's not really like that. I mean, the powerful people there are the ones that are, have the, have the most powerful uh, factions. So Hezbollah is very, very powerful. And uh, they, I mean, the, the government is, is, is scared of Hezbollah because they're much more powerful than the Lebanese army. So it's... Um, yeah. uh, the, and the Hezbollah are also recognized now as a, as a legitimate political party, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, a lot of these uh, a lot of these uh, terrorist organizations in, in some of the Middle Eastern countries they have uh, their own wing of uh, of um, uh, you know political parties. So it's 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 you know it's it's very difficult to, to imagine, but it's it's um, it's kind of its own country because it's got its own system of welfare, education, even sports teams. Um, mm. so, so it's it's not only doesn't only have the military wing. Is there like a geopolitical division within Lebanon of these different factions? Or what, what, it, what do you mean? Is it mixed? Like, is it, is it in terms of locations, uh, in uh, like a, a certain faction is living in certain parts of the country? 
Oh, definitely. But uh, there are other places where it's uh, it's more mixed. So Beirut, for example, it has uh, all factions, but uh, in different parts of the city. Uh, in in southern Lebanon, you had um, well, it, it depends where, because Hezbollah is also moving people um, uh, based on its strategic um, um, interests. So like like when it attacked Israel, uh, you know, it put rockets in in southern Lebanon, so you could shoot them more easily. So it really does uh, depend. Yeah. Um, you were speaking before about the potential, um, the potential for Saudi Arabian influence uh, on the prime minister and sort of these themes of corruption, which Lebanon is always associated, Lebanese politics is always associated with, with corruption. Uh, there's even like a, a court case at the moment, I think, with Nicolas Sarkozy, like the ex, uh, French president, um, to do with Lebanese corruption. What, why, why can you, can you talk us through this, this association with corruption in, in Lebanese, uh, Lebanese politics? Um, well, I, I, I can tell you, you know, in, in general Arab politics, I'm not, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know too much about the nuances of, 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 of Lebanon specifically. Um, but you have, you have to understand how these societies formed. These societies were not used to, uh, to, to they didn't evolve to have countries in the way that most uh, Western countries evolved into into their own countries. They were under colonial rule for a long time. Uh, people there did not, you know, have their own uh, system. Uh, and once the colonial power left, it kind of uh, left it to the uh, local population to deal with. And, and you had all these uh, divides between the different communities and all these tensions. So the... the um, the culture, the political culture, uh, is 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 very much tribal, and it's very much you know I'm going to take care of my own people, and uh, they're going to take care of me. So if it, I'm going to do that through bribery, so be it. It's it's not perceived to be as as evil as as much as it is in in like modern Western countries. Um, mm. Well, there you know obviously it's 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 changing, and yeah, and it's not like something that is always acceptable but it's more acceptable than other countries because you have to take care of your people first and that's uh, the sad reality about the Middle East where uh, where you have uh, tribal affiliations that come uh, first uh, in, in front of uh, national uh, considerations or you know like because uh, there is no sense of nationalism there's only sense of you know specific tribalism to, to your own group of people um, mm -hmm. so, so yeah, it's, it's it's very much ingrained in the culture. Is there are there calls for independence uh, from these factions to be independent nations? You you, you mean like uh, the Sunnis wanting their own uh, country or the Shias? Yes. Wanting... Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm not aware of any calls for that. At least in Lebanon. I mean, other places in in the world. Uh, uh, you know, you have very prominent voices. Uh, there are actually voices that are trying to create. Uh, national Lebanese identity, but obviously it's very, very difficult, you know, uh, considering all of the bloody past and um, it, it's still very much in chaos to this day. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's one of the tragedies of the Middle East because it wasn't always like that. It used to be, it was called the Switzerland of the Middle East because back in the seventies, you know, you had uh, beautiful mountains where people would come uh, from the West to, to ski here to, for, you'd come for vacations. You had great nightlife, you had uh, casinos, you had uh, great bars, pubs. Um, and uh, uh, th that's what it was known for uh, 40, 50 years ago. 
prior to the civil war yeah prior to the civil war yeah and so let's talk about that 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 period of time then so what how do these like differences in uh social ethics and morals um you're saying bars and and, and uh restaurants etc how is that is there differences in, in outlooks regarding those sort of uh, societal uh, aspects between these factions and are there certain like you know neighborhoods or regions where like you know tourists and western tourists will go and find bars and be able to drink in public uh and others where that's just not allowed at all um yeah i mean since it was under uh french colonial rule uh there's still relations with with france i mean sometimes uh, uh you see comments uh about the situation from uh from france and um, you know, uh, maybe sometimes they send aid, uh, but also a lot of the culture uh, uh, was influenced by the French. You you still have a very very large portion of uh, French speaking uh, 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 population there, and uh, their um, you know their customs and their culture was was very much influenced by uh, by the French culture, uh, by the European culture. Beirut is is a very um, uh, you know multicultural city. And um, it's uh, it used to be called uh, Paris of the Middle East um, uh, because it was you know very much in in, in you know in the vibes of of, of Europe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm saying that because for one reason because of, of the World Cup which is coming up um, in Qatar, right? Um, but in Qatar, I think that there's it's um, I could be wrong. This is a quick disclaimer that there's no there's no first of all no public displays of affection. So, and then also there's no uh, public drinking allowed. Um, and I personally was at the, the World Cup in, in 2018 in Russia. And I can tell you that I saw multiple people, <laughs> multiple public uh, displays of affection and multiple drunken Russians on top of cars drinking vodka, uh, as well as millions of people just constantly partying in the streets. So I'm not sure, I guess the, the comparison can be made to like a 55% uh, majority Christian Christian population uh, who might regard uh, alcohol as something permissible in their religion, whereas maybe the prime minister has completely contrast uh, theological and ethical beliefs. Um, so there must be a conflict not only between like legislative matters but also between like social ones. Yeah, definitely. Um... But by the way, regarding uh, what you said about uh, the World Cup in uh, in in Qatar, uh, generally these countries usually you know uh, have like different rules for tourists uh, coming by. So let's say in the UAE, uh, like a lot of people from Israel were worried that you know are, are, if we go to the UAE, can we do like the stuff that you know, like can we go to the beach? And if you go to the yeah. beach, you know they don't care. Like you just have to um, to to wear the clothes and act like the way you're supposed to act. Um, maybe in certain places, but uh, um, other places do sell alcohol, but maybe, you know, only for tourists or you could go to the beach and, mm. and there you could, you know, go in a bikini if, if you're a girl. Yeah, but the difference is that these, like, this isn't talking about tourists. Yeah. Know? Like, um, it must be very hard when they're writing policy, trying to take into consideration all these uh, differences in, in beliefs. Um, powerful families, like the, the, the Lebanon, Lebanese politics has, like, is also associated with, with families, like sort of family influence. Um, is there like a oligarchical sort of system of, of um, 
hereditary influence on, on politics between certain uh, important families in Lebanon? So, uh, yeah, as I said about the Jumail family, they, they are like the prominent uh, Christian um, uh, uh, family there that, uh, you know, had uh, two presidents and uh, other uh, elected officials. Uh, They're also very rich. I mean, uh, also the Rafik um, Hariri, the uh, prime minister was assassinated, uh, whose son is the current prime minister of Lebanon. He was a billionaire uh, businessman. Um, so, so there's also a lot of um, um, influence uh, between the uh, private sector and, and, and the government. Um, I mean, most people in Lebanon are pretty poor. It's not as poor as other countries in, in the region. Right now, specifically, it's going through a very difficult economic uh, um, period. Uh, but uh, uh, usually the people who are, uh, you know, very well connected are the ones that um, also are in power. It's, it's in, in some ways similar to the Russian model of uh, kind of an all our oligarchy of, of uh, very rich uh, uh, people that are also controlling the government. Mm. And so with that, is there quite a high uh, in a, uh, difference in inequality, in wealth inequality within the country? Uh, yeah, but well, I, I'm not sure exactly um, if the inequality is specifically that high, because maybe it's, you know, um, you, you, if, you, if you have such a small percentage of, of people that are that rich, but I think like all of them except them are are pretty poor. So I'm not sure if like the, if, if, yeah. if it's you know because like the, the the way you calculate the the Gini index, which is like the economic index of inequality. So I'm not sure if it's actually uh, going to be as high as you'd expect, uh, just because um, the, the, like the the rest of them are. Mm. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Hezbollah. So we've talked a bit about Hezbollah um, already today. But what, what in, in, from what you understand, is their general ideology and their general ambitions? Well, basically, Hezbollah is, the, um, is a proxy of uh, the IRGC, the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps, uh, which is you know, basically the, the Iranian regime. Uh, their uh, goal is the same as the Iranian regime. It's basically to export the uh, revolution to the rest of uh, the Middle East and and control, uh, sh uh, make a situation where you've, you have the Shia uh, hegemony and in, in control of the region. Uh, and they're one of their enemies, obviously, is Israel um, for religious reasons and for political reasons as well. Um, and uh, one of their enemies is, is um, well, not now, I guess it's, it's less uh, pronounced, but uh, in the Civil War, one of their enemies was uh, the, the Christians. Uh, but uh, it's, it, it's, it's the, 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 you know, the alliances are not necessarily um, ma made for um, uh, deep reasons. A lot of it is very strategic. So, for, for example, when you had the Palestinians in the Civil War, at the beginning, the Syrians wanted to, um, to be against them, but then they decided that it's going to be better if they support the Palestinians, like the PLO, and then they decided to support the PLO. So the alliances are not necessarily based on uh, rigid uh, ideologies. Okay. And how pr how prominent uh, is Hezbollah today, and their and their role in like in the Middle East? Uh, well, they're very prominent in Lebanon. Uh, they're uh, Look, they're one of the most powerful proxies of Iran because they have a lot of money. 
both from Iran and from their businesses of, uh, of, uh, of illegal substances. Uh, they also used to steal cars and, you know, other, like, they, they, very, they acted in very much the ways of, uh, of, uh, of a gang. I mean, they stole cars, they stole a lot of things and, and sold it on uh, the black market. Um, they are very, they're a serious concern to Israel because now they're getting very uh, precise rockets, uh, rockets that can uh, fly for uh, hundreds of kilometers and are very, very accurate. Accurate, uh, it, they could blend, you know, like a few meters from where you plan to uh, to launch it. Um, and uh, they, they are kind of, you know, um, kind of the people that, are, you know, we have, we have a saying in Hebrew, like the house lords of, of, of Lebanon. They're like the ones that are really uh, controlling um, most of, of, of the country because first of all, they, their army is more powerful than the Lebanese army. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they've got seats in, in, in the parliament and no one wants to mess with them because they're very dangerous. Uh, mm -hmm. And they've got the support of Iran. Uh, and you know, Iran smuggles the weapons uh, through Syria. Uh, they've got also other proxies in Syria. Uh, mm. And most of the attacks that you know Israel carries against uh, Syria or Lebanon, it's it's these uh, smuggling of uh, of very advanced weapons that could be very problematic uh, uh, for the security of Israel. Uh, so so Hezbollah is, um, is, is, is is I would say it's a serious threat to uh, to to Israel. Uh, uh, it's also taking part in the uh, Syrian civil war, so to some parts in, in Syria. Actually, they fought ISIS, for example, when it was in, in Syria. So it, I, I would say that Israel, Syria, um, Lebanon, and Iran- They are fought the against ISIS? Yeah, because there are Shia Muslims and ISIS were Sunni Muslims. Um, I mean, the alliances in the Middle East are, are very complicated. Like uh, you could draw it on a map and you know, you've got like five factions and you're not sure who's against who. And also their alliances mm -hmm. can change because it's uh, strategic. So. Um, and so, is the is the general end game, let's say, just to implement a Shia caliphate across the Middle East, or is it more strategic in terms of gaining more political power in Lebanon, re taking over land in, in Israel? Is from a general a specific direction for Hezbollah, in in your opinion, is it? Is it just a, a, a complete like caliphate that they're looking for to, to implement Shia law? Or is, is it, do you think it's more uh, specific? Well, uh, you know, the, the, like the, their goal, what they say that their goal is, is, is what I said is basically creating, um, you know, um, ex kind of exporting the Iranian revolution. But a lot of times I'd say that, you know. Let's, let's talk about that then first. Let's, can you just describe what you mean by that? Uh, so, so Iran went through a revolution in 1979, uh, where um, the uh, the Shah, which was uh, basically a monarch, a dictator, he was overthrown, and uh, they installed a new constitution, a new uh, religious constitution, uh, where they ba basically turned the country into a theocracy, where it's uh, um, ruled by uh, scholars of, of Islam uh, that are educated in Islam, and you've got the supreme leader. And it's it's a very religious uh, state. So their goal, uh, ever since uh, this regime was was installed, was to export the Iranian Revolution uh, worldwide. Uh, they've got um, the Iranian Revolution Guard Corps, which is basically 
um, kind of like a military wing, uh, but that's uh, kind of their foreign relations wing. So they're supporting different groups around the Middle East uh, that are um, helping their cause of strengthening Shia militias and creating uh, hegemony against uh, both Israel and uh, and Sunni Islam. Uh, they, they're fighting Saudi Arabia as well. So um, one of its its arms is is, is Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a, is a great way to achieve these goals. And that's basically the Iranian strategy. It's much easier to attack Israel, not directly, because first of all, Iran is, is is 1500 kilometers from Israel. And secondly, you could, you know, have someone else uh, getting the retaliation uh, instead of you attacking them. So it's actually a very smart strategy of, you know, uh, carrying your work through through a proxy. So basically, Hezbollah is, is a proxy for them. Now, I believe that, you know, they've got like their straight goals, but also I believe that the dynamics inside the organization also um, also uh, take part uh, because of uh, personal considerations and, you know, people wanting more power uh, for themselves and wanting to create uh, uh, more powerful positions. Um, so, so I'm not sure if it works, you know, exactly like companies, like, okay, these are our goals and, you know, we're trying to achieve them. I think like the, the mentality is more of, uh, of you know, war, war in a war. We're trying to fight this and this. So, 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 so it's... Uh, it's um, you know I, I don't know if they believe that it's it's possible to achieve what they want to, but for them it's yeah. it's, it's a religious uh, duty, so uh, yeah. you know they don't think too much about it. And so uh, tensions b between Israel um, and Iran seem to be extremely high at the moment. What do you think the likelihood is that an actual war, not a proxy war, will erupt? Uh, and yeah, how do you think that would that would that would uh, transpire? Well, the thing is, there is a kind of a proxy war, but in, in, in Israel, in the security agency, there is a, um, uh, like a saying, it's called uh, in Hebrew, it's the war between wars, which is basically, um, you know, war is basically a, a kind of like a semantic definition that we've, we've put on, on, on fighting, but you can have a very low level fighting that happens all the time. Let's say some, let's say, you know, um, you have rockets that are launched from uh, Syria, or from Lebanon uh, towards Israel, that's an offensive uh, um, act and Israel retaliates. So maybe it's not war because it's not, you know, continuous, but uh, um, it's, it's, it's just- That's a, what I'm saying. Do you think that, what is the likelihood of a conventional war rather than a proxy war? Of an escalation? Uh, well, with Hezbollah, it's, it's a matter of time. At least that's what all the security agencies in Israel are preparing for, and what Hezbollah is, you know, uh, building its 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 uh, um, inventory for. Uh, it's only a matter of of the right time, because uh, right now Hezbollah uh, is in a lot of trouble by the Lebanese uh, public. I mean, a lot of them resent Hezbollah because of the influence that I described before, and because uh, of their um, kind of, you know, just being the gangster in, in Lebanese politics and, you know, sucking up a lot of the money and creating kind of a parasite economy uh, uh, for only for uh, Shia Muslims. Um, so Hezbollah right now does not want war, but when conditions uh, will allow it, there's definitely going to be a war. And with Iran, I believe that, you know, uh, there's, no, there's not going to be a war with Iran in the coming years, but you know, through, through its proxies, because right now, uh, Iran is really investing heavily in its proxies, both in Syria 
and in Lebanon, and uh, it's it's a very strategy. So I think. Um, Do you think Iran is a proxy for Russia towards the United States? Um, no, not really. I mean, sometimes they have uh, shared interests, but Iran is uh, its own regional power, and you know it's it's got its own ideologies. Uh, that's how it works in geopolitics. You know, sometimes you've got. Um, um, interests that are uh, aligned with with other countries and you work together uh, but it's not necessarily you know, you know also you, you see if some someone is a proxy by the dependence of, of it by, by another country I mean if they get their funding and how much they can influence uh, the party involved um, and um, Iran is, is pretty powerful in the region Mm. So let's talk about this potential uh, incoming war between Hezbollah and would it be Israel or backed by, I guess, other other players within the Middle East as well, right? And potentially even uh, the United States or whatever. Where would that transpire? Would that transpire in Lebanon? And if so, would there be resistance from other factions? Uh, maybe the, the, Christian, the Christian faction within Le Lebanon within that war? How would that war and, and and with that question, how is the Lebanese army um, constructed? You were saying before that each political party, or at least each major political party, has their own army. Uh, are there th three major armies within that form the Lebanese army? How does how does that work? Uh -huh. How a, a war transpire? Well, r r right now, um, you know, you don't really have three armies. It was mo mostly, well, in the civil war, it wasn't really armies. It was mo mostly militias. It was kind of a state of anarchy. Right now, you've got, like, the Lebanese official army, which is pretty weak. You've got Hezbollah, and you also got the UN forces. You've got UNIFIL, which are, like, the forces that are in the buffer zone between Israel and Lebanon, um, uh, which is also uh, a very interesting story because a lot of them... Uh, um, you know, there were stories of, of them collaborating with Hezbollah or, you know, kind of um, turning a blind eye to, to Hezbollah kidnapping Israeli soldiers. Um, so uh, you, you've got Syria, which is in a, in a state of chaos, and which is very easy for Iran to exploit, uh, to, to launch rockets and other offensive operations from it to Israel. Uh, there was a drone strike, I believe, in uh, 2018, where they sent a drone uh, towards Israel. Um, so, um, I, I guess if a war were to take place, it would be, uh, mostly, uh, through rockets, uh, through artillery fire. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, I don't want to answer the, the question because you'd have to be a, a prophet to, to know exactly how it's going to take place. Uh, but what this all seems like, um, unconventional warfare or irrational warfare, like things like drone strikes or, 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 uh, Guerrilla rockets along those lines, right? Rather than yeah. the conventional warfare. So, like, what I'm trying to get at is: is there going to be any change in the future? If well, they just continue this irrational warfare, acts of terrorism, or, or whatever it may be, is there going to be any change in 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 the way Hezbollah uh, is a is a player in the Middle East? Well, uh, you know, the, the the ways that terrorist organizations use evolve. Uh, all the time you see what works and what doesn't work and also if israel you know manages to shield itself so i'll give you an example um 
in Gaza, you've got Hamas, which attacks Israel. So Israel developed the Iron Dome system, which, uh, you know, intercepts a lot of a lot of missiles. Uh, so it's not effective anymore. So you have to find new ways uh, of doing things. So let's say you dig uh, terror tunnels, terror, um, uh, you know, underground, and then terrorists like come out uh, the other side. And now Israel is building out like uh, a wall that's going to detect it. Um, so, so maybe it's not going to work. So, so it's changing all the time based on uh, the new weaponry. Uh, Hezbollah specifically is, is much more sophisticated than other terrorist organizations. It's, it's, it's a, almost like a military itself. So I think uh, with Hezbollah specifically, um, the warfare is, is going to be, um, it's not going to be conventional warfare, but it's going to be some, somewhere in the middle between guerrilla warfare and, and conventional warfare, because they do have um, you know, some heavy equipment, like they don't have tanks and, you know, some, like they don't have uh, ships and, and, and planes and stuff like that, but they do have uh, heavy artillery and, and, and rockets and drones and, and mm. RPGs. Um, so I'm not a military tactician, so I wouldn't be able to mm. answer. Um, and also I don't have the intelligence, you know, I don't know exactly what they're planning. I'm sure that, uh, mm. you know, the Israeli intelligence, uh, knows much better than me how, uh, how a war like that, uh, would appear. Is there a concern, uh, with Iran's potential nuclear capacity or, uh, alleged, um, alleged nuclear capacity? that Hezbollah would have some sort of influence in <laughs> or access to, to nuclear weapons? Well, I guess, you know, I don't know exactly the considerations, but uh, the fear in Israel from a nuclear weapon in Iran is an existential uh, fear. So I'm not sure if, you know, people are, have thought it through, like, oh my gosh, if Iran develop, develops nukes, maybe Hezbollah is going to get them. Uh, uh, but I, I'm sure it's kind of, you know, uh, a derivative of, of the concern that Iran's going to have uh, nuclear weapons, um, you know, generally. Um, everything that has to do with Iran really concerns Israel because when Iran gets stronger, it, it makes Hezbollah stronger. And it, it, it enables, you know, like uh, Iran is like the main power that smuggles money and, and weapons to terrorist organizations that are attacking Israel. So... Israel is surrounded by a lot of um, factions that are supported by Iran, also, also in Syria, by the way. You've got uh, uh, Syria is, is a broken country that's uh, now in rumbles. Uh, you know, it's, like, it's still technically in the civil war. So um, mm -hmm. you, you've got Iranian soldiers in Syria. You've got Iranian units in, in Lebanon as well. So, so sometimes you, you could consider it even a war between Israel and Iran, because there are Iranian soldiers that are operating some of the of the systems there. Mm. You, you were saying that Hezbollah uh, is fighting against ISIS. Where does the majority of uh, Shia-Sunni conflict um, occur, like at, at the moment? So in um, in 2020. Uh, so you've got the Houthis in in Yemen. Houthis are a terrorist organization that is supported by Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, and the UAE uh, attack them mostly by uh, drones. And now um, actually Biden is trying to pressure uh, Saudi Arabia because the drone strikes are um, kind of non-discriminatory -disc between uh, civilians and, and, and terrorist uh, organizations and they're very uh, brutal. So he's trying to cut away uh, funding from them. Like he said, he's not going to- In Yemen. 
in in Yemen. Yeah, he, he said that he he might put on hold uh, Trump's um, uh, 110 billion deal uh, uh, with uh, with Saudi Arabia. Uh, and he said, uh, okay, that's one 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 place. Uh, then you've got um, basically uh, the different factions in in Syria, which is is you know you've got uh, terrorist organizations and you've got different factions that are supported uh, by Iran. Um, you've got um, let me see. Um, you've got you know all of the peace deals with Israel recently have been around this issue with Iran. All of uh, these uh, Gulf states are very worried about Iran. They're, Iran is very, very close to them uh, geographically. So, um, uh, you know, sometimes the war is not necessarily a physical war. It might be a war, you know, like you could create a blockade over Hormuz Straits, which is where uh, most of the um, reserves, uh, for, like, like the oil reserves are in the world. So uh, this, this is another point of tension. Um, you've got uh, Iraq. So you've, in Iraq, you've got the PMW, which is another faction that is uh, uh, funded by Iran. Iran uses um, the proxy uh, method uh, more than Saudi Arabia, uh, but there are other there are other places where Saudi Arabia uses it, um, and you know the factions are fighting against each other. But it's it's a lot of ways you know to influence the. Uh, 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 the countries use, you know, a lot of ways uh, to influence each other by soft power uh, as well, not only hard power. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about refugees. So, Palestinian refugees um, are quite prevalent in, in, in Lebanon. Um, is there is there a refugee crisis in Lebanon? Um, I don't know if it's a crisis. It's something that's been going on for a lot of time. Uh, there have been Palestinian uh, refugees in Lebanon since uh, 1948. Um, and also, as I said, a lot of uh, the Palestinian uh, organizations, the terrorist organization, the PLO, uh, moved its bases to, to Lebanon um, uh, after uh, Black September. Uh, and. Uh, after that, uh, you know, after the operations uh, uh, that were carried out by Israel, they moved uh, to Tunisia and other places. Uh, but you still have a lot of uh, Palestinians, uh, not so much uh, terrorists anymore. It's just uh, refugees. Um, I think that uh, most of them don't have a citizenship, so they don't have like a status of uh, of citizenship. Um, I, I, I think yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask. How are the, how are those refugees being uh, uh, welcomed? Um, well, a lot of them are not uh, really integrated into society. Uh, some of it is also political. Some of it, like a lot of them don't, a lot of the Arab countries traditionally did not want to give them uh, a status because it was like kind of a way to, to bash Israel, um, not, not to solve the, the, the refugee issue. So you've got people living there and, you know, they're, they're not citizens. So they're uh, taken care of by, by UNRWA, which is a, a UN uh, body that's supposed to take care of uh, Palestinians. Uh, but uh, in, in many instances, it's actually controlled by the Palestinian um, um, uh, entire, um, the, the Palestinian educational system. So a lot of it is, uh, um, you know, featuring, um, um, educational content uh, praising uh, terrorist acts and kind of encouraging it. So this is a problem in of itself and, and with integration mm -hmm. as well. From from an Israeli perspective or from your perspective, what 
do you, what do you think would be a solution or at least a step in the right direction for uh, these refugees? In, in Lebanon or generally? Because it's... Uh, in, Le know, in Lebanon. Also, to be honest, it's, you know, each country has its own uh, nuances with, uh, with its refugees. So I wouldn't be able to answer you because I'm not sure, you know, it's got so many factions and I'm not sure about the history. So I'd have to be a bit more uh, educated to, to give like a wise answer. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, let's maybe let's talk about what you're saying. Uh, a lot of these Arab countries refuse to deal with refugees and give them citizenship as like a, a bashing towards Israel, right? Yeah. Like, what do you think is a better alternative than that? Well, uh, if they could, you know, give them citizenship <laughs> or try, try, try to integrate them, you know, try to yeah. kind of end this problem. Uh, well, be, being a refugee, like the idea of, of being a refugee, which was, you know, mo most prominent after the Second World War. It's people that were displaced from uh, uh, their original place. And, you know, now they need to be integrated into a, a new place and they want to be citizens and you know, we have to integrate to society. It's, it's a status that's supposed to, to, be, to be over. You know, you, you have to, to end the status uh, as quickly as possible so people can, can get on with his, their lives. You don't want to continue the problem. It, what's the uh, policy to, towards refugees in, in Israel? Is, is there any offer, do, does Israel offer, offer asylum for, uh, for refugees? Or like, can you talk us through just generally? Palestinian refugees or uh, or refugees in general? Both, I guess, yeah. Um, well, it's actually a very uh, a controversial issue in Israel, uh, the issue of refugees. We're like going really off topic, so uh, tell me if, uh, if it's, uh, you know, you want to stop. But uh, uh, Israel, because it's a, uh, it's a Jewish state, uh, they're very worried about um, the uh, demographics of Israel. So you'd you know if you're a jewish person and you can prove it you can get a citizenship uh, very easily um and the problem is that a lot of people uh that come to the country they claim to be refugees but the way to check if you're a refugee is um, um through uh, a body in uh, the ministry of interior it's called uh, uh refugee assessment um um rsd i forget what the d stands for um, and the, the thing is, is, it doesn't operate. I mean, they don't really check um, requests for, for asylum. So you wouldn't be able to determine who's a refugee and who's not a refugee, because refugee is based on cer certain criteria. Um, and uh, if you're an asylum seeker, it's, it's not really a legal, well, it's a legal term that you want to, to, to be found uh, as a refugee, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a refugee. So Israel doesn't really um, uh, check it. Uh, and there's a real problem in Israel where you've got a lot of uh, people uh, coming from Sudan or from Eritrea illegally and they're staying in Israel. So there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, political questions whether to deport them or not deport them, what to do with them. Um, and obviously it's very similar in, in rhetoric to, to the politics of uh, illegal aliens in, in the United States. So you can imagine uh, what the right wants and what the left wants in Israel. Let's go back to corruption uh, in, in Lebanon uh, and then also the role of democracy or whether democracy uh, exists in Lebanon. Um, do you, what is uh, the sentiments amongst like the youth, uh, so our generation, give or take, 
in, in Lebanon uh, towards their government at the moment and towards these oligarchical uh, influences and of, of corruption. Um, there's, there's a lot of topical um, issues about like uh, corruption being involved, even with like this, um, that recent bombing in, in, in Beirut, I think it was like, whether that's true or not, what, what, the, what does the youth uh, sort of think, if, if you know, um, about politics in, in Lebanon at the moment? Are they sort of starting to question uh, and is there like a revolutionary sort of sentiment amongst people and do they have a voice? Um, from what I've seen, you've had um, uh, a number of uh, large demonstrations in, in the past uh, few months, a uh, few years uh, of, of young people, but it's uh, usually uh, with regard to the economic situation. Usually when people rebel, it's because your life is not very good. So even if there is corruption, but you know your life is relatively well, your situation is not bad enough that you're willing to go to the streets and you know risk a lot of things so if you've got you don't have much to lose and situation is is pretty bad for you you'd be much more um uh, willing to to go to the streets so so this is the main uh motivator for a lot of uh, these young people um the corruption is you know very well uh correlated with the bad economic situation um so so this is really what gets people out to the streets and so do you know what they're protesting against in, t- in terms of these like economic um disparities or or corruption or um what change do people want in in lebanon um well so, so what right now they're going through a serious recession they also went through a recession before um uh the covid pandemic um, the economy was was very weak. I'm, I'm not sure the reasons for why it was weak, uh, but uh, you know, each protest has its own sentiments, its own uh, um, um, you know um, uh, sayings, its own uh, slogans. I'm not sure exactly what the main slogans are or the main sentiments. I just know that it's generally uh, against uh, the the current order of, of things. And also, Hezbollah is one of uh, the main factions that are getting uh, much of the heat uh, because you know they're able to kind of like prosper off of, of the people because uh, they're kind of operating illegally and are able to obtain uh, uh, you know they're not really committed to Lebanon in any national sense they're really committed uh, to their own goals and they're getting their own you know supplies and funding from Iran so they don't really have to worry about uh, the situation in Lebanon too much. Mm. Okay so on the topic of activism, um, I've been sort of uh, exploring the idea of like Western activism and then potentially like Eastern activism, right? Is there like a shift in these social movements um, at all on those protests you're talking about in, in Lebanon away from uh, like peace, like uh, absolutism of like, of, of really concentrating on fundamental Islam is there sort of social movements that uh, involve like LGBT rights or women's rights um, that are becoming more popular across the Middle East? Uh, there's a, a, actually, um, there's a very interesting uh, movement. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if, if you've heard about it, but there was like a video released in Lebanon about uh, um, women's uh, rights. It's, it's like kind of like a song. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, uh, 
there's a, a really cool um, uh, treat, like a, a dessert that you eat in, in the Middle East. We also have it in, uh, in Israel. It's called baklava. It's very good. Like if, if you ever come here or to the Middle East, you should really try yeah, it. Yeah, I've, I've had it before. It's, it's delicious. Yeah. So, so it's like uh, the song where, they, where like women sing, I'm not like your baklava. Like, sorry, you have to treat me like a baklava because like you like your baklava. So treat your women like your baklava. And um, so, so there is like a, a, a movement of, uh, you know, uh, of young girls that want more uh, freedom. Uh, and, you know, uh, Lebanon is kind of um, because it's got some roots in, you know, in, in, in the French culture as well. So, so you do have uh, like an underground LGBT scene there. Um, but the thing is, uh, even in one of the organizations that I'm involved with, which is Students for Liberty, uh, I know that we had like a girl from, from Lebanon, but she couldn't really talk to us because it was dangerous for her, like uh, if, uh, if, if the government found out about her. So th the problem with these, with these places is that it, you have a lot to lose by, by protesting. So, you know, in the West, you could, you could protest, but nothing would happen to you. Like uh, you don't have to be worried that the government is going to, to persecute you. Um, uh, and that's, that, that's the difficulty in it. But uh, I am very happy to see uh, that, you know, there's also social movements in, in uh, Lebanon uh, that are much more prominent than in other places uh, in, in the Middle East. You, you see different um, progressions, also in Egypt, by the way, uh, there's been like a new wave of, uh, of uh, women uh, that, are trying to find a new way to get married without uh, the strict rules, you know, where you can't leave the house without like the man's permission. So they're trying to develop a new system where you can, you can sign an agreement and get married and not get divorced uh, while giving uh, the woman more, uh, more rights. So, so it's very interesting, you know, it's, it's a very, very slow progression, obviously much, much further than what is acceptable by Western standards. But uh, I think the, the, the young generation is becoming uh, more aware of, of, of these issues. But uh, I'm not sure if it's, it's enough to be a critical mass because you've also got a very Islamist youth. So, you know, uh, the stuff that you and me and see online, um, you know, maybe the video got viral, but doesn't mean that public opinion is, is, is necessarily shifting that way. Yeah, that's what, was, that's what I was going to say. Do you think there is going to be any um, any legitimate change? And um, how, yeah, like women's rights is such a massive, massive one, right? As well as LGBT rights uh, when it comes to fundamentalist Islam. Yeah. Um, well, there isn't much fundamentalist Islam. I mean, except Hezbollah. Like women can go, you know, without a headscarf in, in there. Like there is a lot of... It's not a very religious country, uh, like compared to other countries. Yeah, so I was—I meant across the Middle East. I wasn't specifically meaning um, in Lebanon in that case. Um, do you, is the is there access to media? Um, not so much. I'm not really talking about Lebanon now, but um, perhaps uh, less liberal uh, Middle Eastern uh, nations. Is is there like a a system of of state controlled media, which is sort of keeping uh, progression from actually uh, happening uh, in terms of these social movements in terms of um, you know we saw recently in Myanmar the military uh, cut off Facebook for example to um, to restrict any uh, anti counter coup uh, protest groups from forming um, is there a lot of states uh, in the Middle East where women's rights LGBT rights uh, are pretty much non-existent uh, and 
that a, a tactic is being used of uh, restricting communication amongst the youth? So for, for my knowledge, like the most totalitarian state in, in this regard is, is Iran. Because um, um, now with, you know, all of uh, what happened with, with WhatsApp, like when they updated their privacy policies, a lot of people moved to Telegram and, uh, and Signal. Um, so a lot of Iranian youth moved to Signal and they tried to block it. Uh, but Signal is, is encrypted. I'm not exactly sure how their technology works. But the Iranians tried uh, to, to block it and they found out like kind of a, a, a back through uh, way to do it, like, like with, I don't know, like a proxy server or something like that. And that's how many people download it. And from my understanding, I'm not exactly sure, you know, how the technology works, but uh, they're enabled uh, to communicate with each other, even if like the regime, like the regime has no way to, to kind of block it, like, you know, the way that China does it, where it's extremely centralized and, you know, they've got a lot of resources. Uh, but other countries, you know, have um, um, access to, to online media. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, like they read about stuff, uh, obviously their journalism is, is, is very biased and, you know, I'm not sure uh, what's, what's very prominent there. But even Israel, you know, one, one of its efforts in, in trying to, uh, to communicate to the Arab world is they make videos in Arabic. Uh, Israel's got, uh, in, in, in the IDF, you've got a unit, uh, uh, which is like the spokesperson unit. So the, they sometimes make videos in Arabic to the, to the Arab world. It's, I mean, the social media really changed a lot of the dynamics. You've got mm -hmm. a lot of uh, Israeli influencers trying to, to talk to their world in, in Arabic and kind of, um, um, you know, try and win their hearts. I'm not sure if it's working, but they do have a pretty large following uh, from their world. I mean, like you've got, mm -hmm. I think, uh, the IDF spokesperson's uh, uh, Facebook page in Arabic. It's got like... Uh, a million or two million likes uh, or followers, which is, uh, which is pretty insane, you know. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, it's interesting to sort of think about the future and think about how much uh, information and access to, like, and constant access to visions of a more liberal society and Western democracy, uh, when you keep that from a population, that also keeps them from questioning certain oligarchical or corrupt leadership, right? Um, so, not the case in Lebanon, but like in, in, in cases where, perhaps in, in Iran, where state media and journalism is more constricted, um, as well as you're saying they've blocked, they've blocked WhatsApp. It'd be interesting to see if there is any regime changes within the Middle East as uh, technology progresses and as uh, there's more, you know, globalization um, is encouraged, you know. Um, well, that's what happened in, in Egypt. I mean, the Arab Spring, you know, the Arab uh, Spring, yeah. uh, in, in, in Egypt in, in 2011, a lot of the groups were organized through Facebook and Twitter. The, the, these were kind of like the main, um, um, you know, places where activists could get together and coordinate. So uh, that's why a, lot, why a lot of dictators are afraid of social media because it's, it's very dangerous mm. for them. Mm. Um, okay, Mike, was there, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I think we, we covered it uh, pre pretty well. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, thanks very much for that, man. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. All right, make sure to follow the Rocky Road post on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks. Bye.